Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from our Expo 2020 panel series. In this episode, Chris Moore from Elite Business Advisors talks about financial fitness and what you can do to grow your business strategically. So just so you guys know, my name's Chris Moore. Uh, I own Elite Business Advisors. Um, I'll kind of go through my journey here in just a second. Uh, Chris Shank so politely titled this talk, Everything They Don't Teach You in Business School About Finances, uh, because they don't teach you anything in business school about finances for business. 100%. I went to college for four years, got a business degree. I can tell you how to do corporate financial ratios and a whole bunch of other junk that I've never used in my business. So uh, so my goal is to kind of break it down into simple form uh, for you guys as much as possible here. Um, but I'll start out with kind of my journey in the painting industry. Uh, so 10 years ago today uh, was my first day in the painting industry, which is very fitting to be here speaking with you guys today. Um, and I started out with a company called Student Painters. Uh, and some of you guys maybe are familiar, have had them in your, your towns that you operate in. Uh, and their whole premise of their company is to teach college students how to run and manage a small business. Uh, and so I was a 19-year-old college student, majoring in entrepreneurship and marketing, and I was like, this is a really cool opportunity. Uh, and they, again, it's all focused around the business. They use exterior painting as a, the vehicle to teach these college students. So on the left, that is our first job. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, we did not even have a ladder tall enough to reach this. Um, we are using an extension pole. I don't know how we got the check and did not have an angry customer, but that's where I came from, okay? So there's hope for you too. That's my whole point in saying this. Um, and you know, student painters, they taught us a lot. We learned a lot. I learned the hard way about a lot of things. I've spent 10 years in the industry. Um, and moment of truth, at the end of 2019, I started wrapping up my time in the painting industry uh, to focus on this full time. Uh, and whatnot. So it was a fun 10 years, but it's time to move on. Um, and I'm excited because I'm very passionate about what I'm doing right now with other business owners. Um, so that was where I started. Uh, 10 years later, after working with student painters for seven years, I opened my own business for about three and a half years. Um, that was us getting into some kitchen cabinets and some other stuff last year with my company called Elite Painting. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about my background. I've been in your shoes. I've started my own business. You know, with student painters, we did, uh, in the Missouri region that I oversaw, we did about a million dollars a year. Um, with college students in three months of the year. Um, so needless to say, that was a little bit stressful, which is why I went out and started my own company. Uh, and then, you know, running Elite Painting for the last few years, starting that up from nothing to build it too. So um, I, I like to share that because even though, yes, I am a consultant and an advisor now for painting contractors, I come from the painting industry. Um, I understand where you guys are at, the challenges that everybody sees, um, even though I do work with all types of small businesses, I would say about 65% of my clients right now are in the painting, drywalling uh, trade industry. So, um, so what is financial fitness? Does anybody want to throw it out a definition, what you think financial fitness means to you? Do, do what? Money in the bank. All right. I like that. So some security. That's good. Margin. That M word keeps popping up today. People keep asking me about margins, so I appreciate that. I'm excited to see your PL later. Um, what else? What does financial fitness mean to you? Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. You're speaking my language now. No. 
All right, numbers and spreadsheets. So um, I went through a couple things. So somebody said money in the bank, security, right? Uh, I think that's a big thing that painters always, uh, you know, don't think about having the security on the long-term side of uh, having money in the bank, having jobs coming in and all that stuff. Uh, another one is profitability, right? For your business to be successful, you have to be profitable, you have to be making money, or else you don't really have a business, you have a hobby, and nobody likes having hobbies that don't pay very well. So um, long-term growth, you know, the approach I really try to take with all my clients is to focus on the long-term side of things. This isn't a how can I make the most amount of money just this year, but not set myself up for um, success in the future. It's 100% about you know, the long-term side of it and how can I grow this for the long haul um, rather than just to make a quick buck or two this year. Um, cash flow is another one, right? I think cash flow is king. How many commercial guys do I have in here? Cash flow is a huge part of your businesses. It sucks, that, that okay. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about some cash flow things. I come from the residential repaint market, so I'm, I'm, this will apply to a lot of businesses, um, but a, a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk about is more specific to just the res repaint industry. Um, making payroll. Does anybody lose sleep at night about how you're going to pay your bills or make payroll? Appreciate your guys' honesty because I've been right there with you guys. So, uh, and then lastly, or one of the last ones, options. You know. Options to me is a, a big thing, uh, and this will kind of tie into personal finances just as much as it will business. Uh, but to me, I've learned when I was 22 and naive, I'm still kind of naive now, but um, when I was 22 or right out of college, I thought that your level of success in life was determined on how much money you made, the cars you drove, the lifestyle, and all that stuff. Um, and what I've realized over time is, in my opinion, money is a tool to give you options in your life. So my wife is out here with me. She's planted in the audience somewhere. I won't point her out. But um, we made a rule that we would never take a flight before 10 AM ever again unless we could really avoid it. Uh, because getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning to take a red-eye flight to save 50 bucks a person is not always a good way to start a vacation, right? Uh, we flew out here at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, and that was about as early as we like to fly. Um, and we don't do the whole connecting thing either. If we can fly nonstop, uh, we do that. Thankfully. We're from St. Louis, and Southwest is a, a huge hub there for us, so it kind of helps check some of those boxes. But, um, you know, so just little things like that, and, and I don't say that to brag about me. Nothing I'm going to say today is going to be all about me and look what we've done or look what I've done. It's things that I'm learning throughout this journey that I try to share with you guys to share some perspectives. So, um, and then the last one is the mindset of finances. This isn't always the most, I'm just going to say it, sexy thing to talk about. But I think it's a very important piece of it and something that we learned along the journey about the way you think about money is going to have just as much of an impact on the way you manage your, your money. So I hope that's, that makes sense. Um, so we're going to ask a cliche question, talking about mindset. That's where we want to start with this. If you could have a million dollars or a million dollar mindset, which would you choose? And no, you cannot say both. Mindset? Okay, good. Nobody fell for the trick. You guys are well caffeinated. I like this today. So um, Jeff Olson in the slide edge said, I'd rather be worth a million dollars than have a million dollars. If I'm penniless, but I have a million dollar mindset, then it won't be long before I have a million dollars in the bank too. But if I have a million in the bank, it won't be long before I'm back to being penniless again. Uh, and this is where we realize that the way you think about your finances is more important than the amount of money you have in the bank or the way that you manage that stuff. So with that being said, I want to talk about the four ways, I'm well, sorry, really three ways here that you can view your business. Uh, and this is the lens through which you'd look at your business as. So 
Uh, has anybody heard of Robert Kiyosaki? He's written books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. Good, a handful of you guys have. So I stole this from him. I did not create this. I'm just going to be transparent about this. I 100% stole this from him for my analogy. Um, and we're not even going to talk about the investor quadrant because Kiyosaki says in order to be a true investor, you have to lose $250,000 without losing sleep. I don't know about y'all. I don't qualify for that. If I lose 250 bucks, I'm probably losing some sleep over that. So, um, but the first way to look at your business is from an employee mindset, right? Um, how many people started out like as a painter before you went and started your own business? So a good majority of the room. So you started as an employee, you went to work for eight hours, you got paid for eight hours, you went home, you woke up the next morning, did it over again, um, and you were just in that employee mindset, pretty much trading time for money. And then we all think, I'm gonna go out and be self-employed. I'm gonna go get in business for myself, Forget being an employee and having somebody else control my, my hours and my salary and all that. I'm gonna go be self-employed. Well, self-employed generally increases the money pile on that, right? But it also increases the time pile because not only are you the painter, you're the HR guy, you're the customer service guy, you're the sales guy, you're the marketing guy, you're the customer service guy, you're every aspect of your business, the accountant, the financial guy, right? So not only are you gonna increase your money, but you're gonna increase your time and your stress. Does anybody else think that the S quadrant stands for stress just as much as self-employed? Yes, good. So not just me. Um, so those are kind of the, the first two lenses. And, and usually a lot of people will go from being an employee down to being self-employed up to what I'm trying to get across today is to look at your business from a business perspective. When I started Elite Painting, um, you know, I, I do a ton of networking, referral groups, um, just trying to get my name out there as much as possible. And everybody always said that I, and again, this isn't about me, but they said, you look at your business from a business lens, not from an employee perspective. Um, and that was something that I didn't realize until people would make those comments. Um, but looking at your business like a business, um, looking at it from the profit margins on the business, not just how much money can we make on this one project, but how can we make money on this one project and then translate that into another job, into another job, into another job and start that whole chain, right? Um, to grow your business and your brand as a whole rather than just making money off one project or something like that. So that's, that's kind of the whole mindset of finances uh, that I hope comes across to you guys. Um, and I'll quickly hit on this because I don't want to just keep beating a dead horse, but entrepreneurs look at business opportunities through this lens and they look at the, the three Ps. The first one is, is the business profitable? Okay, everybody in here, hopefully you know, whether your business is where you want it to be or not, but you know <laughs> that it is a very profitable industry. Um, the average residential repaint, um, you know, gross profit margins are about 40%, um, which is very attractive to somebody that's looking to get into a business. Um, I've had multiple people that were business people that started painting businesses because of that exact um, attractive factor. So um, that's the first P. The second one is passion. Who in here is passionate about painting? I respect the heck out of you guys. I was not, unfortunately. I was for like a year or two, and then I got passionate about being a business owner. But um, you have to be passionate about something. I was talking to somebody earlier, and they were like, I am not a good painter, but I love running a business, and that is totally fine. You just gotta figure out what you're passionate about. So a lot of entrepreneurs will look for, is there a passion for me in that industry? Um, and I think, again, painting will check a box, whether it's on the painting side of it, the business owner side, anything like that. Um, and then the third one is, what's the potential of the business? If anybody watches, anybody a big Shark Tank fan or The Profit or anything like that, I'm gonna use that analogy a couple times. You know, they always talk about what's the potential. You can, you can be passionate about something, you can have great profit margins on it, but if nobody wants your product or your service, 
it's not really gonna take off, right? Well, the good news about painting is, and I think a lot of people are seeing it right now, is there's a lot of potential in the industry. Um, and so, again, trying to look at it from a business owner's point of view. Um, and this is the last kind of mindset thing I'm gonna go through and before we get into the meat and potatoes of how to do your finances, how to run your business from that perspective. Um, I see a lot of business owners, and, and I put this graphic together, uh, and I'll make an analogy with the next slide. A lot of business owners I see run their business kind of in this order, right? So first off, anytime you have a triangle and you're sitting on that bottom point and like a gust of wind comes by and can just knock it over, that's not a really good thing, okay? Um, so I see a lot of people that try to grow their business right away. They wanna grow their business overnight. I've got a client in St. Louis right now I'm working with that he wanted to double his business between the last year and this year. And I was excited for him, I was gonna encourage him. But I wanted him to see the reality of where he was too, right? Um, because I didn't want him to make this mistake. So what I see a lot of people do is they say, I wanna double my business uh, and I wanna grow like crazy and then I'm gonna hire all these people. Uh, Nick Slavic just gave an awesome session about how to scale and grow your business and get everything implemented. Um, so definitely check that out on the audio when it comes out. Um, but they're gonna increase their employees, right? Well then they realize they've got all these employees so they have to go out and sell work. So then they're gonna market like crazy, they're gonna sell jobs. Maybe they're gonna even think about doing systems. A lot of them don't put anything in place for their business. And then literally the last thing they're worried about is profitability and financial organization. It's the last thing on their mind, right? They're too focused on how can I grow my business to a million dollars as quick as possible. Um, so on the flip side of that, in my opinion, this is kind of how I think businesses should grow. Um, starting with the bottom, and again, you can see the analogy between the way they're sitting. Um, with profitability and financial organization. I think this should be the number one thing you get down in your business. Are you profitable and are you organized? Because if you can't be profitable and organized with a $100,000 business, what do you think it's gonna look like when you're doing a million dollars with 10 employees and a thousand customers and whatever your numbers end up being on that? So if you can get a good solid foundation down to get yourself organized and to make sure you're profitable, that should be goal number one. And then from there, Start marketing your business and getting sales. Um, you know, when you can start booking projects out four to six months ahead of time, that's when you know that maybe it's a good idea to start hiring some more employees, right? Um, which kind of falls into the next one, increasing your service and production capacity, um, followed by systems. I'm a big systems guy. I systematize probably more things in my life than most people do, and that's okay. My wife can make fun of me on that, that's okay. Um, but I think it's important because in order for you to grow to that million dollars and have your 10 employees, you need to have some systems in place to help grow your business to that point, right? Whether it's communication with your employees, whether you have sales staff hired, and so somebody else is doing the estimates that has to translate through you to the employees, right? If you don't have a good way to communicate those things, it's gonna cause you a lot of logistical headaches down the road. So I just trying to systematize, and then the last thing is to go out and grow your business once everything else is put in place. So does that analogy make sense? Does anybody have any questions, clarity? Cool. Um, so I put together five strategies that I feel are the most important to getting your business financially fit. Uh, and the first one is knowing your numbers. Again, I'm gonna go back to Shark Tank and the profit. I love when people go in there and they don't have a clue about any of their numbers. Does anybody else just enjoy it, right? Like, you know it's coming, you know they're clueless, and then Mark Cuban or Kevin O'Leary or Robert or somebody asks them, what's your profit margin? And they're like, what's that? Terrible idea, right? So, you know, knowing your basic numbers. Um, the first thing is, you know, what is your average profit for your business? Like I said, in the residential repaint section, it's about 40%. 
Um, you know, if you're running closer to 50%, you're running a very efficient business. If you're down at 30%, it's not a bad thing. Again, this is gonna be different to each business and each industry and where you're at in your growth cycle too. So take all that with a grain of salt. Um, but you should at least have a pretty good idea that, hey, our gross profit is 40% on our jobs. The second one is what are your yearly sales and profit? What you should know what it was for 2019 and you should know where you're already at for 2020. We're six to seven weeks into 2020 already, so you should have a good idea at least where you guys are at so far in here. Um, and then last one is how much money did you make on your last 10 jobs? Now you may not know this off the top of your head and I don't expect you to, but within 30 seconds of being on your phone or your computer or your iPad, you should be able to get this answer, right? So that's one thing that I really try to focus on with people is organizing it out and tracking your profit per job. Um, you know, a lot of people look at their profit for the whole year or for a six month period or even on a monthly period, which is good in progress, but you should know on each job how much money you're making from that particular job because then you know if you're not bidding things right, then you're, you know if you aren't charging enough for materials, maybe you're under budgeting your paint, uh, maybe your guys are taking way too long to do stuff, but if you aren't tracking your numbers on each actual job, um, that's where it can really start to hurt you. So I've got some spreadsheets, like you said earlier, um, put together that I track all that stuff. Just a few key, simple five numbers that go in there so I can track my profit and all my percentages on stuff. So um, I have to share this story. So I've got a client that just went and got his taxes done for 2019. Has anybody filed their taxes already? A few of you guys are on top of it, awesome. Um, so he, he knew he was kind of a disorganized mess. He just started his business in 2019 and he knew it wasn't the best situation, but he said, okay, I want you to help me focus on 2020. And I said, okay, that's fine. So he called my accountant that I referred him to and he, he calls him and he said, okay. He's like, yeah, that's fine. He's like, I, we can help you, but we're gonna have to charge you 60 to $100 an hour to do your books to where then we can sit down and do your taxes. So needless to say, Travis calls me. He says, hey man, I really need your help. Um, and so we sat down and went through all this stuff. And he's a great guy, he just started his business. I'm trying to help guide him in the right direction. I've been working with him here for a few months. Um, he had no idea within $20,000 what his revenue was last year. He did 65,000 over the course of about six or seven months, pretty much by himself. He had no clue. He didn't know if he did 30,000, he didn't know if he did 100,000. Um, he literally told me um, that as long as he had more money in his account than the check he was writing, he was good. He could sleep at night. Um, and he knew he's got a very strong drive to get organized and stuff and, and I've got a lot of respect for him because he's seeking help, he's wanting to get better and grow and I love working with people that are hungry. Um, that's why I applaud all of you guys for being here because you took the time away from your business to fly to Arizona, to drive to Arizona, um, you know, to, to get some knowledge to go back and take to implement for your business. So I applaud you guys for that. Um, but I think it's just really important to really make sure you know a lot of those basic numbers that's gonna drive your business forward. So, um, so again, what is your method for tracking your, your, the numbers in your business? Um, you know, there's so many different ways out there you can do it. There's apps, there's CRM software, there's so many different things you can utilize. Or you can be very simple and use a Microsoft Excel document. You can use a Google Doc. Um, there's so many different ways you can track it. And I always tell people, I will show you the way I've done it, but you gotta figure out what works best for you, right? I don't really care how you track your numbers as long as you have some method of tracking all of that stuff. So, um, and then lastly, uh, I think uh, the guy that just spoke, Dave, kind of hit on some of this for anybody that was already in here for this. Um, but you should also know what jobs are the most profitable for you and your business. So when, with my company, we did interior painting, we did exterior painting, we did kitchen cabinets, we did deck staining, fence staining, power washing, pretty much all of that stuff. 
Um, and right before 2019, um, as I was building this consulting business for the last three years um, and kind of running both of them together, life was a little chaotic at times, but um, I realized that our profit margins on our exterior work weren't as high as the interior. I realized that that's where the majority of our touch-ups came from, was from exterior painting. Um, and I realized that the weather and the rain was causing us a lot of headaches. So I said, we no longer do exterior painting anymore. And some people thought I was crazy. And I was happily to refer that to some of my other fellow contractors. One of them, I think I sent a job or two in this room um, and whatnot. But I, I realized that it wasn't worth it. We thankfully stayed busy enough doing interior and kitchen cabinets and the jobs that were profitable, that were the easiest for us to create and get done. I didn't have to worry about them being done, um, you know, things being missed and all that stuff. My guys were just crushing it with interior. Um, so I just kind of made a little bit of a business pivot to say we're not even going to worry about the other stuff. Um, so think through that with your business. And again, when you track your numbers, um, I code everything to say it's an interior job, it's deck staining, it's exterior, it's kitchen cabinets to where I can look through and say, okay, our interior jobs, we did 90,000 this year. We profited 48% on them. Exterior, we did 30,000. We only profited 35%. Um, and I can look through all that stuff um, to really track and see what areas we need to be focusing on um, moving forward. So um, with that, also, don't take every job that comes your way. This is a lot easier said than done, especially when you're starting out, or especially in the slow months of December and January. So I'll kind of say that with a little bit of a caveat. Um, but for us, removing wallpaper. Who's ever removed wallpaper in here? Who also will never do that again? Half of you guys, good, awesome. The other half of you guys should catch on to this, but I guess somebody's got to do it. So, so somebody please keep doing it, because I have to send it somewhere. But um, yeah. You know, and that, yeah, definitely time and materials on that. But that was one thing that, you know, when we first started the business and we were just trying to get, you know, some word of mouth stuff going and build some relationships, we were willing to do that type of stuff. But once we stayed busy enough, we would always book at least four to six weeks out, depending on the time of year, two to three months, probably in summertime. Um, you know, we, we just stopped worrying about it because it wasn't profitable. Again, it was a headache for us. So again, look through some of those things and don't be afraid to say no to people. We didn't mess with drywall repairs and drywall patches. I had a sub that I would send that stuff to. He did fantastic work. He loved doing repairs, which I think is kind of a rarity sometimes in this industry. Um, so I would send all that stuff to him. We stuck with our core focus on our business. So, um, so that's all financial strategy number one. Know your numbers, know what works for you, know what you do well, um, and why you do it the way you do it. So um, number two, I'm gonna talk about everybody's favorite uncle in here, Uncle Sam, right? Taxes, we're just gonna get the elephant out of the room um, and whatnot, but I always recommend for people to put about 10 to 20% of your revenue aside to cover your tax bill at the end of the year. Uh, now, I will say a couple of things with that. One, I always did 20% personally because I would rather overshoot it and have kind of an emergency fund throughout the year. If a sprayer broke, a power washer, you know, shot craps, something like that, it wasn't a financial strain on our business because I knew that 20% was more than we needed. I think 10 to 12% was probably, would have been pretty spot on, but I wanted to err on the side of caution. Um, just to have, you know, some working capital and stuff in there as unexpected things come up. Um, does anybody feel like 20%, like there's no way you could run your business putting 20% of your money aside? Couple people, perfect, that's totally fine. And we'll kind of talk through some of that stuff as well as we go. So. Um, you know, the other thing with that being said too is it's gonna depend on everybody's tax situation. Um, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a CPA, so I'm not gonna get into that stuff. Talk to your trusted financial um, and, and tax advisor. Uh, but it will determine on whether, you know, you have a spouse and they work. 
um, whether they're a stay-at-home mom, like all your other personal tax stuff. Again, I'm not gonna get involved with that. Um, but so the 10 to 20% number is gonna be customized to everybody in this room based on what your situation is. Um, but I would strongly advise to just put that money aside. Don't touch it unless there's an emergency expense. Um, that way when the tax bill comes at the end of the year, or if you make quarterlies, you've already are budgeting that money out there. Um, as you make your quarterly payments, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to stress and figure out how are we gonna come up with the money. Shoot, we gotta make a $5,000 quarterly payment next week, and we've got $5,500 in the bank right now. Um, you don't have to starve your business for that stuff. So try to plan ahead on that. Um, one thing, and I hear this a lot, purchasing things just for the tax write-off. Has anybody done this? I'm gonna admit it, I have. My computer was a total tax write-off purchase, right? I needed it anyways. Um, when you buy things just for the tax write-off, you're still spending the money on it, guys. So while it's great to get the tax write-off, and I always joke and say sometimes I think tax advisors are what makes the economy keep going around because people go out and buy stuff just for tax write-offs. Um, but at the end of the day, you're still spending the money from your business for those purchases. So if it's something you need, end of the year, you know you're gonna buy something in January or February, maybe you stock up on supplies. Some of that stuff makes sense, but to go out, and buy a, and I'm not criticizing if anybody's done this, but to buy a $40,000 work truck at the end of the year just for the tax write-off probably isn't always the smartest thing to do. Just keep that in mind, okay? Does anybody hate me yet? Good, I'm trying not to step on toes. So um, the last thing with taxes is I strongly suggest any business owner, really anybody in general, but especially business owners, should do tax planning with your accountant throughout the year. I sit down with our accountant around June 1st or July 1st, um, about halfway through the year, and then I'll sit down with them again end of October, early November as we're kind of really narrowing in our projections for the end of the year. Um, to where that way, I already know before tax time, literally within 1%, I already had it calculated out what, what our taxes were gonna look like when we went and filed them early February this year. Um, so if you don't, if you play the game of like Russian roulette, I'm gonna go get my taxes done and I have no idea what's gonna happen, not always the smartest thing, kind of plan for it throughout the year and you can do some stuff to, to offset that shock um, because I know that's not a fun thing. I've been in that boat before to all of a sudden be like, oh, we owe this money and I've got 60 days to come up with it and that's not always a fun situation to be in. So, um, so I'm gonna go through kind of a couple other things. So you talk about cash flow. I had, um, I facilitated the brain meld on financial fitness this morning. Um, let's see some of you guys in here were at that so I'll try not to beat a dead horse but uh, you know, one thing that people always ask about was cash flow. And again, with my commercial guys in here, um, it's a whole new ball game for you guys. Um, but one thing I always see a lot of people, and you guys may not do this as much, but they try to do multiple projects all at one time, and then it delays everything a little bit, right? So this may seem simple, but I think it's a good reminder. Try to just get projects done before you move on to the next one. It's painting, it's not always gonna work out like that, especially if you do a lot of stuff with remodeling, you're waiting on flooring to get done and all that stuff. But if projects are gonna get done in sections um, or if they add more stuff on it, I always try to set the expectation with the customer that they're gonna pay up for what's been completed and then we'll continue to collect things as we go rather than just having a $7,000 outstanding job that's 80% done, especially if it's not your fault. Um, or if it is, have that conversation with them. Hey, listen, we know this is taking a little bit longer you know, we've got payroll coming up on Friday. Would you have a problem if we just collected 60% right now, which is about how much of the job's done, and then we'll collect the rest upon completion. So there's a lot of things you can do with that, but I think just trying to get things done, collect checks, move on is the easiest way. Again, trust me, I know that doesn't always work that way. Um, if there are problems, there's touch-ups that need done. Customers maybe aren't gonna give you that final payment until these things happen. Get them done ASAP. 
um, especially if your business is tight, you don't have a lot of working capital, um, you know, because again, that's just gonna string everything out. And nobody wants to go back and deal with touch-ups or deal with problems, but the sooner you get it done, the easier it's gonna be to deal with and the quicker you can get the money in the bank and keep things moving in your business. So um, one thing that I think is really important about cash flow, um, and I'm sure everybody's tied into a supplier in here, we always work with Sherwin-Williams, I'm not here to promote them or anything, um, but we always worked with them and they always do, two or three times a year they do what they call their blue bucket sale. And it's where you get about 35 to 40% off supplies and stuff. Um, people, businesses that have good cash flow end up saving a lot of money on materials if you can spend $1,000 or $1,500 on brushes and roller covers and mini rollers and tray liners and all the different things that you're gonna use. If you've got a good source of cash flow and you know those sales are coming up, you know, they usually do spring and fall, I think, with those. Um, you can really take advantage and save a lot of money on that. Um, and I understand maybe you're, you wanna be in that spot, but you're not there yet, but that's something to keep in mind that there's a lot of ways you can save money if you can kind of plan ahead for some of those things as well. So um, most accountants define profit as the number that gets reported to the IRS, but really profit's the cold hard cash flow that keeps your business moving. The profit you make from this job after paying your paint bill and your labor, uh, your laborers um, is the cash flow to keep your business going to get that next project to pay the, those marketing expenses and all everything else. So, um, and then we talked about collection tips. That was one thing a couple people asked about this morning um, for the people in the res repaint thing uh, in the industry, trying to get things collected as quick as possible. Uh, you know, because I know a lot of times customers may not be home when you finish a project. Um, some people don't want their painters or their production manager collecting checks, knowing how much that they're paying for stuff. I was an open book with it. I found that was a good kind of morale building thing with my employees that I was an open book. Hey, this is how much we're charging for it. And here's why, if they ever asked, they really didn't. Um, I didn't have a problem with them collecting checks. Some people, again, it's a personal preference uh, and that's totally fine. Uh, using credit cards, debit cards, having an invoicing system to where people pay you know, within 24 to 48 hours after a job gets completed, because I know sometimes that's another area that can really tie up cash flow is you've got a couple projects that are done and you're just waiting for a check in the mail or you're running around all over town to go try and collect checks because payroll's coming up and stuff. So um, there's definitely some tips and some things you can try to do to, to speed up that process. Um, and again, we can talk more individually about that if anybody has questions. So, um, so one of the questions I get asked the most is how do you take money out of your business, right? You're a, a new business owner, how do you pay yourself? Um, and so, you know, for me, I set it up to where every two weeks, I took a set amount of money out of my business. And I tried to set it up like that in a systematic way to where it weathered the good times. The good times were great, I took the same amount of money. Things get slow in the wintertime, I was taking the same amount of money throughout the whole year. Um, because I kind of did the math backwards, right? I figured out, okay, this is how much money we need to live on. This is how much I can take out every two weeks. Uh, I know when times are good, we're gonna have excess cash flow in there, but that's gonna help weather things through uh, whenever you know, we get into those little bit slower periods of the year. Maybe we have a couple weeks of rain and stuff. Um, so I always encourage people, and, and we'll talk a little bit about how personal finances tie into this, uh, but I always encourage people, figure out how much money you need to live on. And I'm not saying cut it to the bare minimum, like to comfortably live, maybe you can put a little bit of money aside for savings and some other stuff. And then try to just take that amount every two weeks, no matter what. Um, again, it's not always gonna be a perfect world with that, um, but rather than, I see a lot of people go out and they'll collect $3,000 in, in checks from customers, they pay their employees a thousand, they pay their paint bill for 500 bucks, and then they take 1,495 of the $1,500 out of their business to pay themselves. Um, so trying to just have a systematic way 
uh, to keep that you know, even keel throughout the year is my best recommendation for it. Um, and then one thing I think is important to think about is what is your profitability after you pay yourself? Um, you know, like I said, the residential repaint gross margins are about 40%. Um, but after I went through and took out, you know, how much my owner's draw was out of it, compensation, um, our true business profit, if somebody was looking to buy it or anything like that, was about 10%. Um, so you should know your number um, that make sure it's above zero would be fantastic. Um, but, you know, you should definitely know your numbers on that to make sure that your business is profitable, even taking outside um, out of your owner's comp, because I think it's a common myth. They're like, oh, our business is profitable at 40%. Well, that's before you pay yourself. So it's kind of a little bit of a deceiving measure in there. So, um, so let's talk about personal finances. This is just as much fun as business finances, just as much fun as taxes, right? Um, I think it's very important for uh, everybody to understand that you know your personal finances should be separate from your business, right? You shouldn't have to cross over with buying things on your personal card, putting it on the business, or doing personal expenses on the business cards and stuff. You wanna to try to keep all that stuff as separate as possible. Have separate bank accounts. I even go as far to have them at separate banks so there's no just transferring money back and forth. Um, have separate credit cards for everything. Try to keep things as separate as possible. But I think that the two of them tie together very closely and I think a lot of people don't understand that. So for example, if you've got a lot of personal debt, and again, I'm not here to knock anybody, but I want you to understand how that can affect your business. If you have a lot of personal debt, um, it's gonna require you to take more money out of your business than maybe your business is ready to take. I just used the example of the guy that took $1,495 of his $1,500 in profit out to pay you know, maybe for the car loans and the student loans and the credit card debt and all that stuff. And again, I understand everybody's in different situations. Sometimes you have no other option. Uh, but when you can kind of get some of your personal debt knocked down, it can help your business grow. Because I see a lot of people starve their business because they have, you know, they've made some financial mistakes um, and, and they have to pay for those. And so they starve their business moving forward because of that. Um, and so I kind of threw together this kind of corny graphic, but I think it's very true. I see a, a lot of people will put the lifestyle one like either before profitability or somewhere just after profitability. Growth kind of becomes optional. Security is definitely not even an option for them um, and whatnot. So, you know, as cheesy as it is, I, I, I wanted to kind of have something illustrative graphic to, to walk through, you know, getting your business profitable is always step one. Growing your business, step two. Having some money aside for security, whether those rainy days, step three. And then lastly, um, getting into the lifestyle thing should be one of the last things. Um, I love nice things. Cars, houses, all that stuff is great, but I think there's a time and place for it. And I think it's very easy in our society nowadays to kind of get some of that stuff jumbled around. Um, and my wife and I are totally guilty of it. I'll share that story here in a little bit. So um, debt roll down method, I'm gonna hit on this real quickly. Um, and I'm actually gonna pass around these sheets. Um, I've put together a couple of things. If anybody wants some more worksheets and some stuff, um, feel free to put your name and email address down on them. I'll collect them in the back once we're done. You don't have to, um, but I've got some different things put together for you guys, the email that kind of builds on this presentation here. Uh, so if anybody's interested, feel free to do that. Um, with the debt roll down method, the whole point in this, I'll go ahead and bring these up, um, is to try to pay off your debt as quickly as possible. Um, and by taking and paying off your smallest loans with the highest interest first, and then applying that down to the next payment and just continuing to snowball down to where eventually you're putting all of your money on one payment at the end and accelerating the process. Um, so again, with this, once you get down to month 10, you pay off your first debt, 
then you take that $50 over to debt number two. Either way, you're still spending the same amount of money, right? What a lot of people I see do is they will pay off that first debt and then they take that $50 and throw it back into their personal budget. Like, all right, I got $50 a month raise. And then they'll pay off debt number two and they'll throw that $75 in there. Um, whereas if you're used to paying that money anyways, if you can apply it to the next debt, it will really accelerate the payoff um, a lot more. So I've got a better example that I'll email out to anybody that, that puts their information down on there um, that'll make a little bit more sense. But I wanted to at least hit on that. So, um, so a couple of tips for your personal finances. Um, you know, one thing I always recommend, like we talked about putting 20% aside for taxes for your business, I recommend doing the same thing for your personal stuff, about 10% or so uh, to put aside into a savings account um, or an emergency savings fund for those rainy day expenses that come up uh, that nobody enjoys. You know, I, when things go wrong with our car, I still don't enjoy it, right? But I don't get as upset about it knowing that we have money set aside to cover these unexpected things. So um, a second one, have a targeted savings account for upcoming expenses. Uh, you know, if you know you're going on vacation, put a little bit of money aside for the few months leading up to it to where when you go on vacation, you aren't trying to figure out when you get back from your nice relaxing vacation, you aren't trying to figure out how to foot the bill for it, right? So just going through and kind of putting a hundred bucks a paycheck aside or something to save up for it to where you can go have fun and enjoy yourselves. Um, be responsible, but you can, you're not worried about, you know, the budget vacation. Um, again, we've been there before. So uh, tracking your spending. Has anybody like tracked your calories before? Like you're like, okay, I'm gonna start eating better. And the doctor's like, all right, track your calories. Um, I'm not even gonna share my story about that, but I just started doing that and it's miserable, but it was a good learning experience because I realized I was probably eating about twice the amount of calories I should have been. So you don't know until you start tracking that stuff. Um, and I think that's very true for personal finances too. I encourage everybody to go through and track your spending for 30 days. It's not gonna be the most fun thing you've ever done. I'll tell you that right up front, but I will tell you it's one of the most rewarding things you'll do because you will see where your weaknesses are. You'll see, you know, we've had people before, we do some kind of personal financial coaching. Um, we've seen people that are like, I spend $700 a month at restaurants. Um, and if you can cut that back in half, that's a $350 a month raise um, you just gave yourself basically. So go through and track your spending for 30 days. Uh, and the last one is practice delayed gratification. I don't know if anybody's heard of that term before. Um, again, not always the most fun thing, but if you can you know, set goals for things, that's one thing we really tried to do is instead of just going out and buying something we want, tie it to a business goal. Tie it to something that where when we make enough money to cover that purchase, then we can go get that, whatever it is. Um, no matter how big or small it is right now, my wife's got a goal to get a new a set of AirPods. Um, you know, and it's something that, yeah, we could go buy it, but it's, it's making us run towards something that's gonna pay for itself. So I always encourage that, um, you know, why not? So, Let's get back into some of the, the business financial stuff. I just wanted to hit on the personal stuff because I think it does correlate a lot. Uh, so there is a book out there called Profit First by Mike Mikhailowitz. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, I would strongly suggest every business owner in this room to get that book and read it. Um, and I'm just gonna give you a very short synopsis and kind of one of his uh, few ways that he encourages people to manage their finances. Uh, but he has what he calls a profit account. And what he says in this book is to take a percentage of your revenue and put it aside into your profit account. Um, don't touch it. I hope you guys are picking up on the theme of putting money aside and not touching it, right? Uh, so with this, he says, he recommends starting about 5% of revenue, um, which may seem like a lot. So if so, start at 1%. And what he says every quarter, try to work your way up to 5%. Add 1% every quarter, um, because 1% of revenue, you're not really gonna know it's gone. 
And then you're gonna get so used to that that when you bump it up to 2%, you're not gonna notice that extra percent on there, right? Um, so what he says in the book is to put that money aside into a profit account, um, and then, let me go, I'll go through how to, how to deal with it here in a second. Um, sell your job for more money if you can't fathom putting 5% aside. I believe in here wholeheartedly, almost everybody in here, can sell your next project for 5% more and still sell the job. There might be a few exceptions, but I, one thing I've learned working with a lot of contractors is none of us, and then notice how I say us, because I, I was right there, charge enough money for what we do. There might be a slight exception or two in the room, um, but I guarantee you can up your price one to 5% more to sell um, for that next project. So again, go for that. Um, and expand your mindset. You know, if you just say, hey, I'm gonna do 5%, I guarantee you, you'll figure out how to manage the rest of your finances for the business to where you're putting that money aside. So once you do that, um, leave it alone. At the end of each quarter, take a distribution out of that account. And what he says in the book um, is to take 50% of the money out of that account, and that's your bonus for being an owner every quarter. Because a lot of us maybe don't give ourselves those bonuses because we never know, well, can we take money out because it's kind of cash flow and different things like that, right? This is like a guilt-free pass to take money out of your business because you've put it aside for being the owner, for taking the risk, for dealing with the headaches, for all the things that we deal with being painting contractors. Um, this is your bonus. Now, I will say this, if you have a lot of debt like we talked about earlier, what he recommends in the book is to put about 80% of the, that, the whole account aside into your debt to try to pay that down and then take the other 20% as a bonus to you. So, for example, and I hope my math was right on this, if you had a $50,000 quarter in revenue, you would have put, if you did 5%, you would have put $2,500 aside in your profit account. So if you have a lot of business debt, you take $2,000 and put towards your business debt, you take the other $500, give it to yourself as a bonus. If you don't have a lot of business debt, Take half of it out of there, so take 1250 bucks out, that's your bonus to yourself, leave the other $1,250 in that account, because then it's gonna compound. compound. So if you do another 50,000, then you're gonna be taking more money out next quarter, and it's gonna continue this, this snowball from there. So um, if you have a lot of personal debt, I recommend putting half your bonus aside to that. Again, that's just kind of on the personal side of things from some principles we've learned. Um, but I always recommend, don't ever stop treating yourself to some rewards. Right, talk about the lifestyle graphic where that falls into earlier. But I think it's important because as you're working hard, as you're, has anybody ever experienced like burnout? Everybody's hand in this room should almost be up, okay? You're painting contractors, I, I know you have. You've had that one customer that made you question everything you're doing, why am I doing this? Is this worth it? Why am I not sleeping at night? Um, so at one point you've at least experienced it even if it was just for one night. But um, I think it's important to kind of treat yourself and reward yourself for all the hard work, the effort you put into it, the risks that you take on being entrepreneurs. Um, I think it's important to never lose sight of that. So, so strategy number four, um, and I'm gonna be respectful of time. We might even try to get out of here just a little bit early today. Um, go through and do an expense review. It's kind of like tracking your, your finances for 30 days. It's not the most fun thing you're gonna do, but I guarantee you it can be one of the most rewarding things. <clears throat> and I've actually got a rule that, not a rule, but a suggestion for all of my new clients that I'm coaching with, we're doing an automatic 12-month review of all your expenses. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be the bad guy, but I think that there's a lot of wasteful things in there. Um, so what I recommend doing is go through line, line by line on your expenses for the year, <clears throat> and you can even do last quarter or something like that if you want to. 
just so it's not so overwhelming. And each line, each expense, should have one of three things marked by it. Number one, it should have a P indicating that that's a profit generating activity. Insurance, unfortunately, is a profit generating activity. <coughs> um, you know, meals, you can, you know, it's all about how you justify it, right? I, I'm a firm believer you can justify anything you want in life, you know, any category. Um, so, you know, go through and mark all, that, all of those items. Uh, the second one, put an R for any expense that can be replaced with a cheaper expense. So this could be your insurance. Um, you know, when was the last time that you went through and got some different insurance quotes when your renewal came up? Um, hopefully every year or at least every other year. I always recommend people do that with your home and auto insurance too, uh, because I know a lot of times insurance companies will creep that price up, similar to the internet companies and the cell phone companies and all the other things. Um, and we literally had a couple one time that saved $1,600 a year just by switching their home and auto to another company because they were with the same company for 15 to 20 years, didn't realize how much they were really paying for it. You just kind of get used to it, right? It just increases 5% every year and all of a sudden it's really increased a lot. Um, same coverage, great service, all that stuff, save $1,600 a year. So go through and do that with some of your expenses, whether it's your office, your phone systems at the office, your internet, your insurance, your commercial liability, your workers comp, go through and, and check all that stuff when your renewals are coming up. Um, and then lastly, um, put a U for any expense that's not necessary to generate revenue for your business. Um, I think that this is a very important thing, uh, you know, to just not be wasteful, uh, to make sure if your goals are to grow, you want to have as much cash flow available to where you can grow your business the way you need to. Um, so I think that that's uh, super duper important. So um, one of the last things I'm gonna kind of go through here is investing in yourself. Now again, like I said earlier, I applaud you guys for being here. You guys all came to sunny Arizona. Uh, I'll never forget when I told Christina that uh, Chris Shank had asked me to come out here and speak at this in the middle of February. Uh, you know, we're from St. Louis, right? It was a high of eight degrees last Friday there. It was awesome. So for us to come all the way here, it was a no brainer. But um, I applaud all of you guys for leaving your business to come here and invest in yourself because I think that's one of the biggest components. And there's no way on earth that I would be up here talking to you guys right now if I hadn't gone through a whole personal development journey the last 10 years. Um, just trying to read as much as I can, listening to audios and podcasts, um, you know, mentoring with other people and leaders in the industry and business coaches and all those different things. Um, I think it's very important to make sure that you guys are investing in yourself. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's easy for us to, you know, be very, um, very insightful in investing in our businesses, but we forget to invest in ourselves. Uh, you know, I think one rule is the 10 times um, kind of rule of thumb. You know, any, whatever return you're wanting, you're gonna invest about 10% into that. So if you're wanting to get a $10,000 increase in profit, you're gonna have to invest about $1,000 to get that $10,000 return. But a lot of times I see people that will invest $1,000 and expect to get a $100,000 return or they're mad when they don't, right? So the 10 times rule, I strongly recommend uh, but this is one of the most guaranteed ways that you can grow your business. Um, and I love weeks like this where you guys can come out for three days and get a lot of great information, get a lot of great insights, and take it back and apply it. And like I said, it can get overwhelming. Um, again, does anybody feel overwhelmed in here yet? A few people? And that's, that's totally natural. That means you're learning stuff. Um, so write it down throughout as you go here throughout the weekend to where you're ready to implement those things when you guys get back um, on Monday. So. Um, a couple other basic things I'll kind of go through and kind of wrap up here with you guys. 
Um, the first thing is, you know, take advantage of any high interest savings accounts and credit card perks. Um, so I'm gonna use this as a caveat. Always pay your credit card off every month, if you can. I understand there's gonna be situations where maybe something happens you can't, but um, if you are disciplined enough to pay your credit card off every month, treat your credit card like a debit card, you can really get a lot of benefits from credit cards that are out there. Um, especially some business ones have some great like 2% cash back all the time on everything. Um, for us with Sherwin-Williams, we charged all of our paint and every month to pay our paint bill, we were able to pay it off with our credit card. So that was 2% back on all the tens of thousands of hours we would spend every year on paint um, just by playing the credit card game, right? So I always say that, make sure you pay it off every month or else the 2% doesn't make any sense when you're paying 20% in interest. Uh, but you know, take advantage of that. Um, another thing is with the interest savings accounts. Um, you know, as we talk through like the tax account and some of the other things to just put the money aside and you know, forget it's there and don't touch it. Um, again, I'm not getting kickbacks off this, but Discover Savings online has some amazing interest rates just for savings accounts. Their savings account rate for Discover Online Savings is higher or at least right at like a 12 or 18 month CD at any bank, any institution I've found. So take advantage of those things. Um, I think we made like $200 last year in interest on our Discover Savings account just from our tax account. That's where I would send all the money to was that and just let it grow interest throughout the year. Um, so again, that $200 can add up, um, especially for people that are running, you know, $600,000, $800,000 businesses, that really adds up over time. Um, another thing somebody mentioned this morning, if you charge credit card fees, right? Um, what, does anybody in here charge extra for using credit cards? I will be 100% transparent, we did. We only would have three to five people a year that wanted to run credit cards. Um, and for me personally, I didn't wanna raise our rates for everybody, even though I know I could have and I probably should have, looking back on it now. Um, but we would just say, hey, if you wanna use a card, that's fine. There's just a 3% convenience fee that we have to add on. Um, and some people would say, okay, great, yeah, I still wanna do that. Or most people would say, oh yeah, it's fine, we'll just pay you guys with a check or cash. Um, but if you're coming across where you're using a lot of credit cards or maybe your business is growing and you're trying to speed up your cash flow, so you're having a lot of your customers pay by credit cards, just build that into your cost. Um, I know one contractor said this morning that their credit card fees were about 1% of their revenue. So they just bid every job for 1% more to cover those fees. Um, something else you can do though uh, is offer them a discount. So say you're gonna add on 3%, go ahead and mark the job of 3% and then tell them, hey, we do a 3% discount for anybody that wants to pay with cash or check, um, just as kind of an incentive there with that. So I say that it's more of a mind shift thing. It's better to discount money than to charge them extra. And again, I'm transparent. I've learned that kind of the hard way and, and started seeing why uh, this method could be a little bit more beneficial. So um, one of the other things, software as a service. So there's a lot of different apps out there, QuickBooks, tons of different methods, and I think all of them have a time and place in everybody's business, but I think a lot of people sometimes jump into all of that rather quickly. Um, and so I think one thing that can really add up with people, uh, you know, I, I like QuickBooks, I think it's got a lot of great features, especially because you can run payroll in it, you can do a lot of things, but for people that are starting out that are like self-employed, Excel spreadsheets work just as good, in my opinion. And I'm sorry if anybody else is in here like for QuickBooks or any other software things. I don't mean to, 
to step on your toes. Um, but I think that that's something that as people are starting up, you know, just to evaluate some of that stuff. Like, is this really a necessary expense? Uh, because some things can add up quite a bit throughout the year and each month. So, um, and then the last thing, this is something, and I am by no means gonna get in depth on this, uh, is you know, the whole LLC versus S corporation. Um, so how your business is structured and the tax advantages of both of them. And I'm gonna put a couple of you guys to sleep right now, I'm sure. Um, talk to your accountant again about this, but my recommendation and everything I've heard is if, you, if your net income on your business is 50 to $60,000 a year or more, you should be talking to your accountant about possibly filing as an S corporation the following year. Um, because you're gonna save some money on self-employment taxes and different things. Um, now it's probably gonna again vary a little bit state by state and some different things, so that's why I want you to talk to your professionals. Um, but if you're starting to get in the 70 to 80,000 range and above, that's really where they recommend people to start filing as an S Corp um, to save money on those self-employment taxes and different things. So that's as far as I'm gonna go in depth about this, I just wanted to kind of educate some people about that in case you weren't familiar. Again, talk to your accountant about that. Um, and get some more insights. So um, that's about all I've got here today. Um, I will take any questions. I'll kind of stick around here. Like I said, I know it's the end of the day. I wanted to kind of wrap up here um, a little bit early with you guys. Um, this is all of my contact info, um, our website, email, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, I love working with Chris and some of the podcasts, and I've got a huge heart for all the education content they're trying to do. So um, if anybody has questions, feel free and you know, come chat with me beforehand. Go ahead. I think line of, I was telling somebody earlier, I think a line of credit, especially in the commercial industry, is a very necessary thing. Um, I think it's a good idea for everybody to have one in place in case you need it, because it's like insurance, right? You're better off having it before you need it, because when you need it, it's a lot harder to get. Exactly, so I think it's a good idea to have one set up. Again, I try to stay away from the debt route as much as possible, but I understand there's certain circumstances. Exactly, it's not gonna hurt you to have it available to you. Yep, absolutely. So, any other questions right now? Is 10% net, like, kind of the, you know, probably varies the size of the business, but... It really does. That's something more I customize with people a little bit more so. Um, I think that there's, you know, the PCA has a lot of industry standards and different things you can look at for that. Um, I think 10% after owner's comp is a pretty good number in kind of an industry average, uh, but it's really gonna determine where you're at in your growth cycle, right? Like you said, if you're a smaller business but you're trying to grow, your net profit might only be 5% because a lot of that extra money is going in to fuel your growth. Um, if you're established and you're happy doing a million dollars a year, well that number might be more like 15 to 20%, it just is gonna depend. So that's where I'll sit down and kind of try to do a one-on-one -on -one analysis a little bit more so to say, hey, here's where you're at, this is kind of the number and targets you should be looking at. But I think it's a good enough kind of ballpark for people. So, cool. Well, I appreciate your guys' time. Enjoy the rest of the week. I think there's a lot of great stuff planned out. Like I said, anybody's welcome to come up and chat. Uh, and I appreciate you guys, thank you very much. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.